This is Continuing the Conversation, a podcast series brought to you by the Surface Navy Association. This is Paul Wren. We're here today with a very, very distinguished naval officer and friend, Vice Admiral Mary Jackson, who has had a uh, remarkable career in the United States Navy and has been uh, an example for not just women to follow, but also also uh, men to follow as just a, a great leader and a great naval officer. So, Admiral Jackson, I'm glad to have you here today. It's a lot of fun. And I'd like to ask you a question. As one of the Navy's most senior women, you've seen the Navy evolve immensely since the time you graduated from the Naval Academy to, to today. And um, I'd like you to talk a little bit about how you see it having evolved and what you think uh, the changes are good and where do you think the Navy needs to continue to go. So, first of all, it's great to be here. Uh, thank you very much for the time. Um, I, I like any of us that entered the Navy in the, the late 80s, have seen you know, 30 years of, of change and evolution uh, with the Surface Navy. Um, I'm an incredibly proud Surface Warfare Officer and very proud of our community as well. Um, the uh, opportunities that have been afforded to women, if you want to talk specifically about uh, women uh, during my career, have um, changed significantly. There's been more and more uh, doors open um, over the over my time, and of course, I think I think diversity as a whole and allowing the best talent possible across the board. It doesn't matter what uh, cohort group you're talking about, but just allowing. Um, our officers to be the best that they possibly can, can and give everyone an opportunity to succeed is uh, probably one of the things I'm most proud about of, of the surface community. Mm-hmm. How, what, uh, any, any specific changes that you've seen from the time you were commissioned and you looked at and said, wow, where am I going to go and what am I going to do? And, and maybe specifically talk about why you chose the surface warfare officer path over aviation or because submarines weren't available at that time and and um, or any other path that might have been available to you. So initially just talking about um, commissioning and why I chose surface warfare um, the I had an incredible uh, midshipman cruise that uh, gave me the opportunity to to see what life at sea was like um, at least for that short period Um, and the, the ship that I was on gave the midshipmen all sorts of opportunities, uh, gave, whether it was driving or spending time in engineering spaces, but really the opportunity to see the crew and to realize, to really realize and see uh, what it's like to have a team that comes together and is operating and making things happen. And, and that was really kind of the, the shining light of that midshipman cruise was to see that in action and see uh, what, uh, how that how I might be able to be a part of that um, as just even in my initial session, whether I stayed in or didn't. And I did not look uh, at the Navy with the long view at that time. I was really just looking at kind of my early junior officer um, mm-hmm. opportunity. So very kind of focused on what I was going to do in that first five years yeah. of, of commissioning. What made you change your mind? That's It's very interesting because... When I joined the Navy years ago, it was very much that kind of a horizon. Well, I'll do this for five or six years. The war in Vietnam was going on, and that was the case. I, I can honestly say I never thought that I would stay past six years. So you've just touched on something that's very near and dear to me. So talk a little bit about what made you 
what made you decide to stay in the Navy and, and continue on with your career? Well, I've been very, very fortunate to have just incredible assignments, work with incredible people, um, but I have always held the notion that I could leave today if I wanted or needed to. Right. And um, clearly I'm still here, and that's because I, I believe in the people, I believe in the mission. Um, I find um, great satisfaction in doing something and serving for something bigger than me um, and knowing that that uh, we're serving our country, I'm serving our country, but also serving other people and mm -hmm. and um, seeing the team come together. So I think every you know every day you, you, I've been focused on doing the best that I can in that you know in that time and space and place, uh, but then also keeping a, a view of what the options are um, as I look you know forward to the future. Yeah, that's 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 uh, very interesting. You know, there is something that that comes up continually um, at all levels of the chain of command, and that's being invested in your job. And I think it's something that you stress about taking ownership of things and 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 creating a sense of synergy throughout your throughout your command, uh, and especially as a leader. Can you talk a little bit about that and what you think is why you think that's so important? and uh, from, from the aspect of not just being on board ship, but also being ashore. I think for anyone in any professional arena, um, know, knowing what they own, right? Knowing the why they're putting blood, sweat, and tears into what they're doing every day uh, is really important. To me, it, it is very foundational to kind of how they're going to behave and how they're going to tackle problems is that kind of that very foundational understanding both authorities and accountability of ownership um, but then also uh, the commitment and the dedication to the team so ownership is one of those words we talk a lot about our you know our core values and our principles ownership is one that I keep coming back to that's very easy for me to reference and I talk when I talk about anything when I talk about um, our roles and responsibilities in the shore, or whether I'm talking about um, to junior officers who are getting ready to go to initial division officer or department head tours, is know what you are supposed to own and really get into those details so that you can own it. And it's not only owning programs, but it's owning your own life, navigating your own uh, career and life um, as, you're, as you're moving forward. So I think ownership, um, we talk a lot about it, you know, that the natural one is you walk into a space, you look at a CCOL, you instantaneously know who owns that space. Well, apply that same notion to everything else that's going on in your life and, um, and really own it because no one else can do that for you. Right. Okay. Well, you touched on something that's, um, that's very significant also in, 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 my continued conversations with women at the symposium, but at other places in the service. Uh, they talk about uh, work-life balance, and we're going to talk about this later when we have a group, a group mm -hmm. conversation. But I'd, I'd like to, to ask you to expound a little bit ab about that. You just touched on it a bit, about balancing that in your career and in your personal life, how, how women <clears throat> uh, can and must do this to be successful, but in the same vein, the problems that women confront that are different than the problems that men confront, 
And what advice you would, you would give women in the Navy as they as they pursue a career? So I've had my own uh, discovery on balance, kind of as I've made my way along. Um, I was very much of the notion as a junior officer before, um, even before marriage and before kids, that that I would be able to put my personal life in one box and my professional box, my professional life in another box, and kind of keep the two separated. That I could could um, navigate it in that manner. And that became very clear after having our first of two children, um, that that was the wrong way to go at it. Um, and that it's this weaving together of um, your professional life, my professional life, and my personal life uh, that has brought strength to me individually uh, to be able to, to be both be successful in both, but also um, brings, I think, um, uh, strength to me as a leader because there's a compassion an empathetic um, uh, kind of emotional leadership aspect of um, bringing that into the workplace uh, the fact that I'm human and trying to navigate life just like someone else and the notion that um, you know we're, we're all striving to have it all at the same time that that is the pinnacle of what we're trying to achieve I think is not what the focus should be the focus should be that just like in everything else in life, we are making de decisions, you know, risk decisions, mm -hmm. um, conscious decisions about where you're going to focus at one moment, um, maybe sometimes at the cost of the other, or vice versa, or how you're trying to kind of find that balance. That balance is always in motion uh, on a daily, sometimes <laughs> by second basis, <laughs> as you're trying to kind of navigate that. And um, there are some tools that, you know, I believe are very, very important um, for anyone, not just women, to use things like mentorship, um, things like um, being able to lean on other people, yeah. um, and then also um, the ability to kind of prioritize what's important at the moment yeah. uh, is, are, are really valuable. Okay. I, I do want to ask you one question, and I would not have been able to ask you this until last night because <clears throat> somebody mentioned this. I've, I've talked to a number of uh, female officers who are former commanding officers and also reactor officers on uh, on um, carriers, and they talk about things having groups called lean in or lean on mm -hmm. that they have, mm -hmm. and uh, that was very revealing to me when I asked them about that, <clears throat> and and they described these groups that they got together and shared their problems or shared their worries or shared just about everything. I think. Can you address that at all? Is that something? Is that something that you're familiar with, or something you encourage? Or absolutely. Yeah. So I'm familiar with it. Um, I've been able to participate in um, some lean-in groups. Uh, I think they are. Uh, whether it's that, you know, structure lean-in, or whether it's some sort of other um, networking mechanism, I think there's incredible value in being able to. To, to share ideas, uh, to bounce uh, thoughts off of each other in a safe place, you know, not necessarily tied to the chain of command, uh, but that there is an incredible amount of um, strength that you get from kind of just talking through, you know, this is what I saw, or, or this, is, um, you know, this is how I'm trying to plan my next job, or this is how I'm trying to decide what type of childcare I would like for my children as they're coming up. So it's... It doesn't have to be gender specific, and I think there are groups that meet like this that are vary in pay grade, vary in um, 
warfare community, also vary in gender. But so I believe in all of them. I don't think that uh, I think that, in fact, there uh, is value in having um, those type of um, engagements in our lives, right, in um, various aspects. Some people find it through church. Some people find it through professional organizations like Service Navy Association and getting together in the local chapter. I mean, that that is a similar type of, of thing. Lean In brings some of that as well, although I would admit it's a little more focused um, towards the gender piece. Okay, got it. One last thing, and then I'm going to ask you for your vision of the future. But this is this kind of this is really an inquiry of mine. When I was doing the Zumwalt uh, nominations this year, I, I encountered a, a staggering number of committees on the ships that, when I first read the title, I was offended by, and it was the committee to prevent disastrous decisions on board ships. After I, after I saw it on three different nominations, I realized this just wasn't one ship. This was something that had been instituted by the Navy. And then the more I thought about it, it was like, oh, we're talking suicide, we're talking drugs and all this other stuff. Uh, <clears throat> and so I took a totally different view of it. But I'd never heard of this before. And I wouldn't say I'm totally connected to the Navy, but I, I think I'm reasonably such. But how many programs are there like that? And can you talk about that one specifically and where it came from, and if you can? So I think what I'd like to focus on is that um, as you look back um, in terms of where our Navy has, has been on this, we have tended to look at uh, these programs in a very siloed manner and very specific to destructive behaviors. You know, there's alcohol-related incidents and and. Um, dealing with alcohol rehab, that type of thing. That, that has been a siloed. There's the sexual uh, assault and prevention, response and prevention piece, and that has been siloed. Um, there's family advocacy, right, and, and how to help people through counseling and um, domestic violence and, and domestic abuse, and that has been siloed. So I've seen this evolution um, in the Navy in terms of how we address that, and I would say it's been a transition. So I think the first part was they were siloed. The next step was, okay, well, let's realize that there is perhaps some connective tissue between some of these types of behaviors. And that is when you, uh, we were kind of moving out in this manner of destructive decisions. How are we going to um, maybe put processes in place or programs, uh, leadership discussions, case studies, all those types of things that we do to address destructive decisions? I think the next step and where we're going is that um, is to move away from focusing on the bad and towards this notion of a culture of excellence. Now you're going to be hearing, and it's been going on for some time now, but much more discussion about what we call signature behaviors. So, how, so if we truly want this culture of excellence uh, in everything that we do, not a culture, not just a culture of compliance. So the focus on destructive perhaps just got us to a culture of compliance. Don't drink and drive. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do whatever. So how do you go from a culture of compliance to a culture of excellence? You focus on the good and you, you recognize and you train, you teach people and you lead people on how to achieve these signature behaviors and this excellence. Many of the, the programs in place are still the same. Counseling is available use of chaplains, um, a much greater 
and broader acknowledgement that it is okay to be talking about those types of things. It's okay to ask for help because we're all human. So I think that is the evolution that I've seen in my career and I think where we're going. So many of the directives, program initiatives out of the fleet commanders and out of OPNAV um, in one are very much focused on on how do we um, encourage, reward, highlight, train to these signature behaviors so that we can achieve that, that culture of excellence. And when people are having problems getting there, we have um, resources and tools to help them get through that. Okay, that's terrific. And that's very good, very good description of it that I, I wasn't aware of. Um, last question. And uh, as a woman who's been incredibly successful, but as a naval officer, not necessarily as a woman, but somebody who has performed well, has been in the theater and done extremely well, what advice would you give to young women who are, um, very much considering a, the profession of arms, the profession of being a naval officer, who are from the very start thinking about a full career, 20 or 30 years. What advice would you give them with regard to how they should pursue that? So it's not one piece of advice, yeah. but a couple snippets that have come up and I've um, referenced frequently in some of my discussions with, with junior officers. And again, it's not necessarily specific uh, to women, is, is to keep all doors open uh, to make sure that they are finding time to um, to own it in the sense that uh, they have opportunities to do their homework with other people. What what was their path? How did how did the tools that they had to navigate their career and their life? How could that possibly apply to that individual who's looking for? Um, you know, they're looking towards their future. Right. So really finding opportunities for mentorship and sponsorship because I think as as I have progressed, I have I have been very fortunate to have people share with me their stories. And I've tried to file away the snippets because no no one else's story is going to be just like mine. But there have been tricks or tools or resources that I've listened to and I thought there's no way that applies to me. But five years down the road I think, oh I remember someone told me this and this is what might be in the art of the possible. And so always keeping those doors open and doing that homework um, and having sounding boards is really, really important. The other thing that um, I think is, uh, was very powerful for me to realize is the grass isn't necessarily greener on the other side. And um, it is easy to think that life is better um, maybe out in the corporate sector or easier or different, um, but I have had some incredible opportunities to talk to um, high, um, high achieving women who have been working out in the corporate sector and been able to hear that many of the things that I wrestled with as a, as a um, new mom or um, a new wife um, or an, a junior or mid-grade officer are not exactly the same, but the... Um, and the things that they think through and have to work through are there are some similarities, whether it's a working spouse, whether it's um, young children and how to manage a, a, light, a household, um, how they are going to work through ailing parents. So those things don't go away if you get out of the Navy. Right. And um, the last thing I would say on that piece, which ties a little bit into that one that I just mentioned about the grass isn't always greener, 
is there is incredible opportunity for women um, and men and really anyone who wants to work hard, do well, and contribute to something bigger than them in our Navy, and especially in our surface Navy. And as a previous detailer and one who stays pretty connected still with what's going on in the detailing world, I'm extremely um, proud of the work that our detailing teams do to encourage full disclosure, to make sure that a, when they are detailing a constituent, they know kind of the full breadth of what that person is trying to manage, not just in their career, but in their life. Because we need to detail um, towards someone's life and what they're trying to manage. And, and I've, I see that. There are many, many examples of dual mill, um, working spouse, uh, children with um, EFM that are, have special needs, where we have so many incredible successful stories as a surface warfare community where we have um, successfully helped someone navigate their life as well as placing them in jobs where they can continue to compete, be upwardly mobile, be successful, be incredible leaders, and do really, really well for our Navy. So this notion that getting out of the Navy or getting out of surface warfare, the grass is going to be greener, I really don't think that's so true. Yeah, that's great. Thank you very much. Vice Admiral Mary Jackson, it's been an honor and a pleasure. Thank Thanks you. for joining us. Thanks, Captain Wren. Thank you. Thank you for continuing the conversation with us. For more information about this podcast and the Surface Navy Association, visit NavySNA.org. If you like this podcast, please give us a five-star rating. Until next time, fair winds following seas.